You're listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We continue only with your help. Visit mortificationofspin.org to make a donation or call 1-800-488-1888. That's 800-488-1888. You are listening to The Mortification of Spin, the regular podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. I am one half of your hosting team, hosting committee, if we're going to be Presbyterian. And my name is Todd Pruitt. I am uh, the pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley. And of course, I am joined, as always, with the second half, the more superior half of this hosting duo. It is Dr., the Reverend Dr., Distinguished Reverend Dr. Carl Truman of Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Ambler. He of Westminster Theological Seminary fame, where he teaches church history. He writes books. He blogs. He runs. He's a parent. He's a husband. He's my special friend, Carl Truman, the most sentimental man I know. Carl, good to see you today. Thanks, Todd. If I can just get the lump out of my throat for the, uh, the most <laughs> I was deeply moved, touching as I was and moving you. introduction there. Well, uh, well, we have a, a very distinguished guest with us today. Uh, the Baptist answer to, to Steve Nichols, <laughs> another man uh, enjoying eternal youth, it seems. Uh, Reverend uh, Doctor Jonathan Master from Cairn University. Very glad that I got his name correct because uh, recently he preached for me and three times I introduced him as my friend and got his name wrong, which was rather embarrassing at the time. But Jonathan's joining us today. We're going to be talking about preaching, particularly with reference to Martin Lloyd-Jones's great, if somewhat mercurial book, uh, Preaching and Preachers. But first, I'm going to ask Jonathan just to say a few words to introduce himself to the audience. Well, no, it is good to be here, and it's good to be introduced correctly. That's always a plus, I think, uh, when your good friends are introducing you. Um, I mean, it's great to be here. I, I'll tell you, it's, I'm sort of bowled over and overwhelmed by the Alliance's uh, you know, podcast studio. I, I suppose I shouldn't have expected anything else, but it really is a sight to behold. I wish, I wish, I wish the listeners could actually be viewers at this moment, because it really is... Yeah pretty extraordinary. Yeah, it, it, it's great. We are deep within the bowels of Cornerstone Presbyterian yeah, Church. Yeah, yeah. Cornerstone mm-hmm. Presbyterian Compound. That's right. They are stockpiling arms here at uh, Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. Um, so just as, as we as we think about the whole compound um, situation. so You need to be careful about mocking us, actually, because we, we do enjoy the protection of the sons of Italy. <laughs> so be very, very careful. But, uh, Jonathan, you're a, a a professor, but you're also a preacher. Wonder if you could give us, uh, in, in brief compass, your philosophy of the importance of preaching to the church today. Well, I mean, I think preaching is absolutely central to the church. Um, I, I would argue that without the regular teaching of the Word of God, you'd, you'd be hard pressed to say you've got a, a living church at all. Uh, so, so you know, God's Word is what creates. God's people, um, God's word is what sustains God's people, um, and 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 so that's played out most explicitly in the regular preaching ministry uh, of local church. So I mean I don't know how how else to emphasize it except to say that it's it's critical, it's central, it's um, you know in the day to day life, and then sort of when you look at the church theologically, it's 
it's it's uh, absolutely foundational. One of the things that I'm always concerned about as a, as a seminary professor, and I know you too, as well as teaching at Cairn University, you're also very involved in the seminary at Cairn, is how do we turn out good preachers? And I've become increasingly convinced over the years that it's not simply important to teach students the mechanics of moving from the biblical text to the proclaimed word in the pulpit. It's also important to give students a vision of what preaching is. They need to understand preaching as a theological act. They need to be excited about it as a theological act, that it isn't simply just a lecture. It isn't simply a means of communicating information. It's actually a way of confronting people with God. I like what you were just saying there. It's central to the life of the church. It's a creative force within the church. And one of the books that helped excite me about preaching is Martin Lloyd-Jones's Preaching and Preachers, which was originally given as a series of lectures at, at Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, one cannot speak highly enough about a book that uses the word abomination with such <laughs> tremendous regularity. Uh, it's also hard to overestimate the importance of Martin Lloyd-Jones for placing preaching back at the center of the church's life and also for instilling in, in several generations of men a tremendous confidence in the simple preaching of the word to achieve that for which God has purposed it. So I want to talk uh, about Lloyd-Jones's book today, and I'm going to start by throwing out a quotation, which I think probably goes to the heart of some of the questions people have about the importance, significance, relevance of preaching today, because it strikes at the heart of seminary curricula, and often the way local churches set up the emphases within their ministry. Comes fairly early on in the book. If you've got the, the new edition from uh, Zondervan, it's on page 47. But I'll read the, the little section and then ask uh, Todd and yourself to, to offer some reflections on this. Lloyd-Jones says this, We turn now to the realm of personal problems. This is a familiar argument today, as I've already indicated. People say that the preachers stand in their pulpits and preach their sermons, but that there before them are individuals with their individual problems and sufferings. So the argument runs, you ought to preach less and spend more time in doing personal work and counseling and interviewing. My reply to this argument is to suggest once more that the answer is to put preaching into the primary position. Why? For the reason that true preaching does deal with personal problems, so much so that true preaching saves a great deal of time for the pastor. Todd, uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's so good. And, and I, the thing that keeps going through my mind as you were reading that is uh, the doctrine of the sufficiency of, of Scripture, um, which, of course, is what, uh, partly what, uh, what gives preaching its continued relevance. Um, it is in preaching, as, as you were mentioning, the the, the theological reality of preaching. We're, we're, when the word is preached, dead bones are coming to life, um, to borrow from, uh, from Ezekiel. De dead bones are coming to life. Uh, God is creating faith where there was no faith. He is sanctifying his, his people according to Jesus' own prayer that they would be sanctified through the word of God. And um, I, I, th I think it was Jim Boyce who said some time ago um, that, that he saw the coming battle not so much over the authority of Scripture, but the sufficiency of Scripture. 
and having grown up as as a as a Southern Baptist, I can tell you that um, th- there was a great deal of emphasis placed on the authority of Scripture, but not much emphasis placed, at least my experience, on the the sufficiency and the power of the regular pulpit ministry of the church. And so, what I was trained in early on, and what I what emphasize what the, the emphases that, that were made to me is is this idea of how do we make the Bible relevant. And of course, it begs the question, or, or actually establishes the presupposition that, well, we don't really think that the Bible's relevant to begin with. And so somehow the preacher must make the Bible relevant. And I understand we want to apply it well, but I think the preacher, it's incumbent upon the preacher when he steps into the pulpit to know that what he's preaching is already relevant because it's God's word. Yeah, no, I mean, I would agree with that exactly. In fact, when you asked the question, I was thinking about what Dr. Boyce used to say, that the, the battle now in evangelical churches is primarily for the sufficiency of Scripture. So I think that's exactly right. Um, I, I think, it, I'm not sure if it's in this book, a Preaching and Preachers, or in the biography that Ian Murray wrote, but I think Lloyd-Jones was actually very explicit about the fact that he did most of his counseling from the pulpit. Mm. And, and I think there's a, a great deal of value in seeing it that way and in understanding the act of preaching that way. I, I suppose, and, and I wouldn't say that Lloyd-Jones fell into this, but I, I suppose there is a danger that um, you could start to think of pastoral ministry as impersonal, as, uh, as, as simply you standing up there and preaching at the people um, and, not, and not living and working in and among them. But, but I, I, and, I'm, and again, that's not to say that's what Lloyd-Jones fell into, but but I suppose there's a danger there. But no, I think it's it's really valuable to see the act of preaching as a primary pastoral work and a way of addressing regular pastoral problems within the congregation. Yes, and I would add to that. I think there is a there's a, a congregational responsibility here as well. Uh, we live in a world, certainly in America, and I, I'm guessing it's coming to to Europe as well, which is very uh, therapy oriented, and. Uh, we live in a world where everybody is taught from very early on in their lives that they're unique. One of the functions of that, of course, is that their problems are going to be unique. And a further function of that is, therefore, everybody needs a unique and tailor-made solution. I wonder sometimes if some of the, the, the pastoral counseling situations that arise might actually be avoided if people came to church on Sunday expecting God to speak to them from the pulpit expecting the Word of God to be taken from the pulpit and applied to their hearts, and underlying that to understand that actually their problems aren't uh, that unique. We've got another quotation here from Lloyd-Jones that I think has implications not just on this issue but on, on wider contextualization issues as well, but is, is very apposite towards understanding uh, human beings in general terms and realizing that we're not actually so unique that every single problem we have requires a tailor-made solution. Lloyd-Jones says this, God has not changed and man has not changed. I know that there are superficial changes. We may dress differently. We may travel at 400 miles an hour instead of four miles an hour. But man as man has not changed at all. And man's needs are exactly and precisely what they've always been. Lloyd-Jones is there talking about passage through time, if you like. But I think that also applies geographically. My needs are not that different from the person sitting next to me on the pew, sitting in the pew in the church down the street. Uh, sitting in the pew in the church 3,000 miles away, the other side of the North American continent, or 4,000 miles away in Europe. I wonder if some of the emphasis we have on on individual counseling arises out of a, a misguided thinking that everybody's unique and requires a unique tailor-made solution. Any, any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I know what it's like every week to stand before uh, people in three different morning worship services, knowing that I have a broad spectrum, people who've just had the best week in the world, whose lives most of us would, would envy, all the way to people whose 12-year-old child was just recently killed in an accident or whose spouse is, is an alcoholic. Um, I have to get into the pulpit each week knowing that the scripture I'm about to proclaim to these precious people loved by God is timely and relevant for each one of them. Not that I don't put a lot of thought and prayer into the application of that scripture, but I could easily be distracted, and I think most preachers could easily be distracted by tailor-making every sermon that we end up applying it to maybe just a very small portion of our congregation, rather than having confidence that the Spirit will apply this powerful and living Word. No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I, I think that we have to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Wasn't it Spurgeon who, when he was walking up yes. the steps to preach, I believe in the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I think, too, anecdotally, and, and this might might or might not be your experience, but my experience is the sermons where I've really tried to think through all the ins and outs of what a particular person might be going through and, and sort of tailor-make the, the sermon for them have, generally speaking, seemed to fall flat. And But conversely, I'm always amazed by the fact that um, just preaching the Word of God, the regular preaching of the Word of God, is used by the Holy Spirit in ways that I could never have envisioned or imagined. Because the truth is, we don't, to the to some extent, we know what's going on in our congregations, but to some extent, we don't know what's going on in mm-hmm. everyone's heart. But the Lord does, and so I think that that, that what you're what you're describing uh, involves a level of confidence in the Word of God and in mm-hmm. the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And and whenever I've tried to sort of uh, help with that, mm-hmm, right. <laughs> it's uh, it's generally been, at least apparently, unsuccessful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly the case that when, when you get into a pulpit, often you look out in the congregation and you'll see faces you you know, you recognize, and you'll realize that perhaps something you prepared needs to be nuanced right. or specially mm-hmm. tailored for that particular person on that day. I remember once going up in the pulpit and the sermon was going to be a pretty hard one. Mm-hmm. It's going to come down hard on people. And I looked out and I could see faces of people I knew had suffered that week. And I thought, you know, these people need, they need to be lifted up by the gospel. So I actually spontaneously dropped a certain amount of my sermon. Which is entirely appropriate point. at yeah, those times. Yeah. That's what, a, that's what a, a, a pastor has to do periodically. Yeah, and I think it's also, of course, to go on to another of my hobby horses, it's what you lose when you have a massive megachurch right. uh, and you don't know everybody. Right. Is that uh, a shot at me, Carl? That's a direct hit, I would say, Todd. Uh, <laughs> if I'd got an AK-47, I'd just fired it into the air in celebration it's, at that point. It's true, isn't it, that you can also micromanage it too and sort of overthink Okay, I can't say this because this person's right. here, and right. I and and certainly there are times when that's when what you're describing is called for. But on the other hand, I sort of suspect that we may not always know as well as we even think we do, mm-hmm. uh, even in congregations where we know our people. Mm-hmm. And that again points to the limitations of of seminary education. I think on preaching, in that preaching is, in some senses, it's a bit like long-distance swimming or long-distance running. How do you become a long-distance runner? By running longer and longer distances. Mm -hmm. How do you become a good preacher? By preaching to people Mm -hmm. and by finding out what works and what doesn't work and by developing this ability to nuance what you say to the people you're preaching Mm -hmm. to. Being, Being in hospital rooms with 
um, your church members during the week. Um, marrying, burying, fellowshipping over a table makes you a better preacher, I'm convinced, because you know your people better at that point. Um, and, and, and that's why I, I, I believe that, that pastoring, if you like, and, and preaching are so inextricably linked. One of the other things I like about this book by Lloyd Jones, well, it's it's a very it's it's an exciting book. It sets your your mind on fire for for preaching, but it's also very mercurial. I'd have to say that half of it's brilliant, half of it is completely bonkers. Isn't that part and parcel <laughs> though with being from Wales, uh, as, as Lloyd Jones was? On the grounds that Derek Thomas almost certainly doesn't listen to this podcast, I feel comfortable <laughs> in saying, absolutely, that's a fairly yeah. typical national characteristic. <laughs> uh, uh, um, Lloyd-Jones has these, these sections where he talks about unction. Mm-hmm. And this has really gripped the imagination of a whole variety of people who've read this book. And Lloyd-Jones will talk about it. He goes into the pulpit on, on some days and, and he's flying and he's got unction. Other days he will go into the pulpit and, and the unction just isn't there. Right. My experience has been I can go into the pulpit and I can think that I've been flying. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think I preached a complete clunker. Uh, my wife, first thing I always say to my wife when we get into the car after the church service is, how was the sermon this morning? And then she'll tell me, usually fairly honestly, but gently. Yeah. And <laughs> I've come become aware that how I respond to my own sermon <laughs> is no guide to how the congregation responds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a feeling that Lloyd-Jones there is is confusing his own, dare I say it, carnal response to his sermons with the action of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you guys have any comment to make on that. Well, in case Ian Murray is listening, I don't think Lloyd-Jones ever did anything wrong. I, <laughs> that's idolatry. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, th- that's, the, that's the honest answer. I, I don't know uh, whether he's confusing those things. Or not. I will say this about preaching and preachers. I found there was a there was a point in my life when I read it and it was incredibly helpful and yet the I probably read it through two or three times right in close succession. And it was also very um it, it was, it was it, there was this mystical element that I couldn't quite get my hands around. And and at that time um you mentioned Jim Boyce earlier. He said something that was freeing for me as I'm reading Lloyd Jones. He said uh, he was talking about preaching to a small group of people, and he said, um, you know, I don't really look at it as preaching a sermon. I just look at it as teaching the Bible. And and there's a sense in which he might have been oversimplifying, although I have no doubt that is how he probably looked at it. But it was so helpful because I had gotten wrapped up in my own mind in the sort of uh, mystical moment that Lloyd-Jones described that I wasn't quite sure I understood. And now to, at this point, I would say, I don't know that it's understandable. But um, so, so there, I think, I think you're, you're absolutely right that there's a need for correction uh, on that. And, and it, I think actually can be unhelpful for particularly people who are early on in their preaching ministry to think in those terms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey, wh- and just for, for the sake of interrupting, um, your, your three top, let's say, say top three books on preaching? Well, to tell you the truth, this still might be one. I yeah. mean, because it yeah. it is very, uh, uh, well, it's incredibly entertaining. I mean, it's the most entertaining book on preaching. Yeah, that's for <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, that's right. That's right. That's right. The abomination meter is off yeah. the charts. And so so this has to, this has to go on the list. Um, 
I'm trying to think uh, which ones have been particularly helpful. I, I suppose um, of the of the contemporary ones, um, well, Brian Chappell's book is good. John Stott's book is good. Um, there's one by Stuart Alliot that's it's helpful too. I mean, not, none of these books in my mind is perfect, mm-hmm. but I've probably learned something from, from each of them for yeah. sure. Yeah. But there's no question what you said earlier, Carl, that, I mean, you learn to preach by preaching. Right. Carl, best books on preaching? Uh, certainly this one. Yes. Preaching and Preachers. Uh, I would add, though, though this uh, theologian is a kind of second generation richly and liberal so I can't buy into all of his positive right. theological constructs. But I would say P.T. Forsyth's Positive Preaching in the Modern Mind gives a, an excellent uh, account of how preaching should be this existential confrontation. Mm-hmm. The preaching doesn't take its cue from the culture. It takes its cue from the Word of God, and it confronts people with a different world or a different view of the world. So P.T. Forsyth uh, is... Uh, extremely good. Then I think it's it probably varies year to year which books I would would say are, are good ones. But I would certainly say John Stott's mm-hmm. uh, volume Between Two Worlds. Um, yeah, I'd probably probably put yeah. that put that down there. What about yourself? I, well, I love the Forsyth book. Uh, in fact, my copy is drenched in highlighter and ink. I've mm. marked it up because I don't know of another Even though book. it's got no pictures. You Even there's, there's no that's, pictures. That's, I've I'm added impressed. my own I'm in the impressed. margins. But I'm telling you, I don't know of a better book on what preaching is yeah. and what it does. Yeah. It is outstanding. Um, and I, I, I love Chapel's book, Christ-Centered yeah. Preaching. If, if I was teaching a course on preaching, that would be the primary text. And I would just throw out one other Um Speaking God's Word by Peter Adam, I think is yeah, excellent. Yeah, that's very good. And I, you might also, William Willimon has written some good books excellent as well. Excellent books. Uh, Theology and Proclamation, I think, is the title of one of them that's very, very good. Yeah, yeah. Peculiar Speech by yeah, Willimon yeah. is very much worth reading. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I'd also commend uh, Christopher Ash's book, Priority of Preaching. It's just a little it. book, it's beautiful. but um, great on the theology of preaching, yep. yeah. just very, very helpful. The one sort of last point I'd like to draw out from Lloyd-Jones as well, and and ironically, Lloyd-Jones himself inadvertently didn't help this, certainly in the (laughs) British situation. Lloyd-Jones makes great play of the need for the preacher to find his own voice. He says this, what is the rule then? It is, be natural, forget yourself, be so absorbed in what you are doing and in the realization of the presence of God and the glory and the greatness of the truth that you are preaching and the occasion that brings you together, that you are so taken up by all this that you forget yourself completely. That comes in the middle of a longer passage where Lloyd-Jones is talking about don't put on a false persona when you get mm-hmm. into the pulpit. Uh, for him, in his generation, it was don't become this sanctimonious, pious, parson figure. For our generation, it's probably don't become the cocksure right. uh stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I think that students have to do, they have to learn from listening to good preachers, but they have to realize that for them to become a good preacher, they don't emulate other preachers. They learn to find their own voice. When you listen to a Tim Keller or you listen to a Martin Lloyd-Jones, you've got to work out how you can do what they do using an idiom that is natural natural to you. 
I find that slipping in some profanity works. That gives it my own special signature. You'll fit in well in the PCA. You, you are going to have to work on the suntan. Uh, we will get in touch with John Payne, who okay. I believe will be able to get you some free vouchers to the PCA suntanning salon uh, in Manhattan. Uh, John, if you're out there, we do love you. It's only a bit of uh, gentle leg pulling. Uh, anyway, it's time for us to, to wind up uh, today. I want to thank our guest, uh, Dr. Jonathan Master, I got the name correct there. I'm on <laughs> a roll at this point. Yeah. Yes. Uh, also, our aspiring PCA pastor <laughs> and semi-Presbyterian, uh, Todd Pruitt, uh, and myself, a true Presbyterian, Absolutely. Uh, pastor of Cornerstone OPC Church in Ambler. Uh, this has been the Mortification of Spin podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Please visit our website, uh, Mortification of Spin. .org and alliancenet.org and we look forward to being with you next time. This has been Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals also publishes reformation21.org, christwordcollective.org and placefortruth.org. To learn more about the alliance, visit alliancenet.org or call 800-488-1888. We can only continue with your support. Make a donation at mortificationofspin.org or call 800-488-1888. That's mortificationofspin.org or call 800-488-1888. Thanks for listening.